Our scripture reading today is John 1, 9 through 18. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came, from, came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who's at the Father's side, he has made him known. Thank you, Zach. In the last few weeks of reading this passage, it's become one of my favorite in the whole Bible. There's so much in here, and uh, frankly, I preached this sermon one time. I did at 8.30 a few hours ago. And yeah, I feel really, really inadequate to do justice to the verses that Zach just read, so I do want to ask the Lord to help me to speak and help us to hear. All right, Lord, thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I thank you for how clearly John tells us about him. And there are so many things that we could focus our attention on right now and so many ways our mind could wander. And yet, what more do we have than to give our attention to your son? So I pray that you would help me deliver an accurate reflection of what we see in this text. And I pray that we would all receive it, and not just receive it, but worship, and our hearts would be humbled. And I pray not just for momentary insight, but God, I pray that we would leave here with our lives wrapped around Jesus Christ in a way maybe, maybe they weren't when we came in, and make Jesus clear, and do that as I decrease, make Christ increase. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit, which is going to go before all of us and help our minds understand and our hearts love and treasure Jesus Christ. We pray this all in his name. Amen. Some things only time gives you perspective on. So some things like the bombing at Pearl Harbor or civil rights legislation of the 60s or the Vietnam War, or the first Gulf War, or September 11th, some of these things, only a matter of time, helps you like put into perspective what was going on. I think that especially is helpful to remember when we realize John has had some time to process exactly who Jesus was. So actually decades have gone by since Jesus had ascended and when John writes the words that we've read today. And in that time, John has had enough time to process who he saw and exactly who Jesus is. And he's actually been able to process the church that Jesus created and the power that he had and also the power that he gave to his followers as he left. He's been able to process what Jesus Christ is doing now in the world, not just somewhere up in heaven, but, but presently in this world. I think it's helpful to get that perspective because John, we've been tracking with John's description of Jesus. He, he uses the first 18 verses of John chapter 1 
to like give us the backstory, give us a little bit of detail, not the full story, but give us enough detail to know exactly who are we going to encounter when we meet Jesus in the book of John. And in John chapter 1, and, and actually picking up where we left off in verse 14, we, we've recognized that Jesus is the Word and He became flesh. So the Word in John 1.1 1, 1 is said to be in the beginning, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And now that Word has become flesh. He's on earth. He's still God. That hasn't changed. But, but He lives among us, and the, the stories we read about uh, of Jesus' life are, are encounters with a real human being who walks on earth, who really does miracles, who has conversations, who eats food, and, and then is, is hung on a cross and rises from the dead. This is a real human we're talking about, a real human that even after he's risen, meets people and eats food again and has conversations with people. The first verses function as a preview to the life of Jesus. One thing, as I thought, as I was reading John chapter 1, in particular, the verses that we're reading today, when I came across in John 1, 14 to 18, things like concepts and terms like seeing glory. And when I, I read of a concept like grace and truth, and when I read in John 1 about Moses and the law that he brought, and when I read in John 1, 18 about like no one has ever seen God, Instantly, my mind went to another place, another place where some of these very terms were used before John 1. I think in, in some ways, good writers and, and people who craft good stories can, can take us back. So think, think like Toy Story 3 or think of uh, the, the Bourne series of movies or think of Star Wars in which even, even a modern installment is going to take you back to a, a previous movie, a previous storyline, a previous character, and, and you're going to see the connections, you're going to see the allusions. Well, John does, John does that. He actually goes back to a story, and I think it's worth our time. We don't flip around in our Bibles a lot during this main teaching time on Sunday, but I actually would like you to go back to Exodus 33, because I think in seeing that, you're going to see the very vocabulary that John uses in John 1.14, and how he takes the same vocabulary that we're going to read in Exodus 33 and apply it to Jesus in John 1. As you're turning to Exodus 33, and, and I, I would like you to turn there and, if possible, even hold your place in John 1. As you're turning to Exodus 33, of course, Exodus 32 comes before that. And Exodus 32 is one of those horrific chapters in the Bible. It's horrific for many reasons, but, but it's a pivotal moment when Moses has gone up to Mount Sinai to really meet with the Lord and get instruction, get the law, get revelation for God's people. And while he's up on the mountain meeting with God, God's people are at the foot of Mount Sinai forming a golden calf, forming a symbol, but it actually sounds like it's more than a symbol to them because they, they point to this calf and they say, this is the God. These are the gods that brought you up out of Egypt. And so it's like everything is going wrong down at the foot of the mountain while Moses is up at the top of the mountain meeting with the Lord. It's such a slap in the face of a God who actually did love these people and who actually did deliver them out of Egypt and guided them all the way through the Red Sea and, and to this point. It's such a slap in the face that God's judgment does come, and that's what Exodus 32 and 33 are about. God's judgment is going to come and it's going to be severe. 
And actually, at one point, God threatens to actually just wipe out all of Israel and start over with just Moses. He tells Moses, I, I'm, I'm going to just take care of all them and I'm going to leave you because you have been faithful here. And Moses pleads with God and says, don't do that. He, he actually cares for the people of Israel. And he says, don't do that. And so he pleads with God and God tells him, okay, I will spare Israel, but I'm not going to go with them any longer. And Moses again pleads, Lord, we can't go anywhere if you're not with us. We need your presence with us. And it's kind of at that point that I, I want to draw, drop down into this story in Exodus 33 and verse 17. So Exodus 33, verse 17. So Moses has said, God, you have to go with us. And the Lord says to Moses, the very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, and notice the words here, all right? Think about this when we go back to John 1 in a minute. Moses says, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But God said, you cannot see my face. Remember that phrase again as well. For man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me when, where you can stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I'll take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Let's keep reading because the, the chapter division isn't really helpful. In Exodus 34 and verse 1, it the Lord says to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words, in essence, the law or the instruction. I'm going to write it for you again, Moses. The ones that were on the first tablets, which you broke, be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and you present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one comes up with you. Let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. And Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. He rose early in the morning, went up to Mount Sinai, just as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand two tablets of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaim the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. It's kind of the Hebrew way of saying full of grace and truth. Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. In verse 7, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And, and he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. It's a stiff-necked people. Pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. That's a long passage of scripture. I wanted to read that so that you would hear the concepts in Exodus so that they would come alive in the book of John. 
It's a powerful story, and yet it seems like even Moses is ending this with another request to the Lord. It's not as if he, in verse 9 of Exodus 34, Moses has all this peace and confirmation that everything's going to be okay. It seems like Moses still has questions. It seems like we still have questions, even as we end such a powerful encounter with the Lord as in Exodus 33 and 34. One of those questions would be this, will anyone ever really see God's glory? Will anyone ever really see God's glory? If Moses didn't, and he asked to see it, he said, Lord, please show me your glory. If Moses, who is so close to God, if he didn't get to see it, and the text goes all the way around saying he didn't, says he, that the Lord's glory was going to pass by and Moses would only get a glimpse kind of on the, the, the back of God's glory but not see his face. He would not get the full dimensions of God's glory. Then the question is like, will any of us ever see it? And another question we might ask is, will God's people continue to be shown grace? Will that always happen? Moses seems like not quite sure. He's still asking, like, well, keep pardoning us because we're, we're filled with iniquity and sin and rebellion. We're going to keep messing this up. And, and God, are you always going to show grace to your people? Is that something we can always count on? Could it be that you change your mind? Could there be a line we cross where you say, enough's enough? Enough's enough. Could there be a line where we would cross where God would cease to be filled with grace and mercy and steadfast love to us? Could there be a line that we'd cross where God says, you know, I'm I'm tired of being, you know, full of abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I think I'm going to do plan B now because you guys have messed this up so many times. I can't count on you anymore. So I'm going to operate a little bit differently. Could that be a reality? And another question that seems to haunt this passage is that can can anyone ever really know the father i'm sure they get words from god but moses seems so close and still there are things like the lord says this far and no more for moses like i'm not saying can we know about the father know about god but is it ever really possible for individuals for 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 any of us to really know the Father? The answer seems to be, while we may know His greatness is unsearchable, it seems like even as as we end this passage, this may not ever happen. So it seems like Exodus 33 and 34 are leaving us with questions that actually that backdrop is super, super helpful for us to fully appreciate what John says in John chapter 1. The first question we asked is, will anyone ever really see God's glory? The answer we thought was maybe probably not. But John says in John 1.14, we saw his glory. So actually we have an answer to that question. Will anyone ever really see God's glory? The answer is yes, in Jesus, in him in the word who has made flesh and lived among us because we saw his glory in him. That's exactly what John says. God came in flesh. He lived among us. He didn't cease to be God, but he, he did become human 
And over and over again, people saw the glory of Jesus. They saw his miracles and his, his power and his grace and his peace and his patience, his truth and his tenderness. They saw it. When Jesus comes in glory, it says he comes with glory as of the only one of the Father, the only Son of the Father. John finds this word that means like the only one of its kind, meaning there's, there's no other just like him. So yeah, there's a sense in which we're, we could all be sons and daughters of God, but what he's saying about Jesus Christ is he is unique. There's only one occupant of that category. When we're talking this kind of category, he is the only son. Will anyone ever really see God's glory? Well, yes, in seeing the only son from the Father. When God sends his son, we don't get like a second-rate option. I've been to conferences where like I signed up to go to the conference because a certain speaker was speaking, only to get to the conference and there's been a slight change of plan. Something didn't happen. And so, like, Mr. World Beater can't speak. But so-and-so, who's really, really good, he's, he's here for us today. It's like, I didn't want to hear I didn't want to hear him. I wanted to hear him. We don't get, and I don't mean any disrespect, we don't get any sort of downgrade or knockoff or cheap, cheap replacement. When we get God in flesh, Jesus Christ, we see glory. He's the one who is at the Father's side. And John the Baptist is even going to come and say, this one that you see actually predates me because he's from eternity and he ranks before me. So will anyone ever really see God's glory? Yes, we have. We've seen God's glory in Jesus Christ. There was another question that came out of Exodus 33 and 34, and that is, will God's people always be shown grace? And there's a sense in which we go, yeah, I, I guess God never changes. But John takes us even one step deeper and reminds us, will God's people always be shown grace? Yes, because Jesus has come. And notice the description of Jesus in John 1.14. He is full of grace and truth. And this isn't some complicated balancing act for him. Like, ah... Back in October, I showed a little too much grace. Now I'm going to have to like balance that out with a little more. This is not him. 100% grace. Full of grace. 100% truth. This is no like tight wire. He's walking. This is just who he is. I thought of what it says that our, our God and our Savior Jesus Christ is full of grace and truth. And I thought about all the advertisements I've got in my mailbox this week encouraging me to vote for a particular individual, this person or that person. And all these ads are basically some, some kind of riff on this. Either vote for her because she can be trusted to care for you. She will really care for you. She will always care for you. Or she will always do the right thing so you can vote for her. He will always do the right thing and he will always care for you. It's, it's always some, some aspect of that. And, I, and I, I believe there are some good intentioned people that actually want to do the best for the people that they represent and want to be caring for every individual and always doing the right thing. But we, we've lived long enough to know nobody can be full of 
being able to care in that way and always do the right thing. No one except for, except for Jesus Christ. And he's full of grace and full of truth. Will God change? Will he ever stop showing grace? No, this is who he is. We receive grace upon grace. Actually, even the way John tells us, he says, the law or the instruction, you know that was grace. That was, that was a gift through Moses. That was God's grace. Moses goes up on a mountain and gets tablets that says, here's how people ought to live their lives. What a gift. They don't have to make it up on their own. What a gift. Grace has come through Moses. But, but there's something even deeper. There's a contrast here that when Jesus Christ comes, he is filled with grace and truth and he establishes grace and truth. God doesn't shortcut the truth just to show grace. This is what it means. Let's think about it a minute. Jesus is full of truth. That means that God never overlooks sin. It doesn't mean Jesus just kind of puts some blinders on and says, I don't, what sin? I don't see any sin. No, no. When he's on this earth, he sees people and he sees them in their sinfulness. He tells the truth about it. He recognizes that sin is the thing that's going to just mess up this world from that, that you and I will struggle to flourish in this world because sin will mess it up time and time again. The truth is that we, on our own, are rebels and we don't want anybody to tell us what to do, not even God. That's the truth, and Jesus knows that about us. The truth is that going our own way always creates such a mess that we can't even fix it or clean it up. That's the truth, and Jesus knows this. Jesus knows that sin just has like such an awful effect that we have to find all sorts of different analogies. So we can say sin is betrayal, and we can say sin is rebellion, and sin is like a disease, and sin is like bondage. Jesus knows all this. He knows the truth. The truth is none of this is ignored by God. But Jesus deals with this truth by going to the cross and bearing our sin. He takes sin on us. Paul says it like this, God made Jesus to be sin for us, the one who knew no sin. So God doesn't excuse sin. He, he puts that sin on Jesus. He puts your sin, he puts my sin on Jesus Christ so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And that's when like the fullness of not only truth kicks in, but like the fullness of grace kicks in because this passage says we have received grace upon grace. I, I love to go to the beach in the summer and on the beach, what you stand there and you just see like another wave come in and another wave come in and some are big and some are small, but the waves keep coming in. And I think that's a helpful reminder of what this passage is saying about God's grace. It's like when, when the waves stop coming, that's like when God stops being full of grace. We have received grace. It doesn't say, John doesn't say we, we watched a documentary about grace. We did some analysis and a word study on grace. He says, we, we received it. We received it in, in the sense that our sins were held against us, but we received grace. Our needs are met, our prayers are answered, our hopes find fulfillment, our souls are saved, our lives find meaning, our hearts are won by a rescuer who delivers us and draws near to us. We didn't earn grace. 
That's, that's against the word. I mean, you, you can't do that. You can earn what's coming to you, but you can't earn grace. But in Christ, we've received grace upon grace. Jesus has shown us what it means to be full of grace and truth. But there was, there was one more question kind of lingering from Exodus 33 and 34, and that is, could anyone ever really know the Father? It's interesting, John 1.18 almost seems to kind of walk down one direction. It says, no one has ever seen God at any time. So you kind of go, well, maybe not. Maybe we can never really know the Father. But then right on the heels of that, it says, yeah, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only, God himself, the one who is at the Father's side, he's made him known. So in, in a surprise here, we might have expected the answer, I guess not. And lots of religions, that's the answer. Like, yeah, you, you never really will know God. You never really can know him. It's all a mystery. And while, there, while God's greatness is unsearchable and we'll never have him all figured out, that doesn't mean we can't know him. And that's exactly what John says Jesus did. Jesus made him known. The word is interesting there. In Jesus, we can know him because Jesus has, the, the word is like to explain or, or to publish a divine secret or to rehearse facts or recount a narrative. Uh, another way of looking at this word is like the fact that Jesus has made God known. Someone has said it this way. Jesus is God's authorized self-interpretation and self-explanation. You can read lots of books about God, but you want to get the authorized one. You want to give the authorized interpretation of who God is. And if you want that, then you're not going to read any book that a mere human being wrote. You're going to look to Jesus Christ. A writer said that Jesus is God's autobiography. We'd love to know what, what God is and who God is and what God thinks and what he wants and what he does and what he's like. And Jesus explains. Jesus explains. You want to know what love is like? The love of God? God loved the world in this way. He sent Jesus. You want to know what it means to live in eternity? Look at Jesus. You want to know the perfect holy character of God? Look at Jesus. You want to see the deep mercy of God? Mercy towards sinners like us? Look at Jesus. Despite the fact that no one has ever seen the Father, oh, we have his autobiography. It's a person. His name is Jesus. It leads so well into what I, I think is the highlight of us gathering together here today. And that is because of who Jesus is and because of what he's done. We put our trust in him as our savior and we identify with him. And the, the first way that believers are meant to identify with him is to be baptized. But there is another way that's ongoing. And that is when we, when we gather around the table of the Lord, when we, when we take his body and his blood, when we're reminded of his death for us, we're identifying with him. We are saying we are his followers. And so the bread and the juice in this case aren't going, they're not meant to be good luck charms. It's not something that like when it's passed, you go, well, can't hurt. Maybe I ought to try some of that. Maybe it'll give me something positive for the week. This is not what's going on there. It's not like a, a sample from a vendor you try out that maybe that can help me. 
when we come to the Lord's table, when you get the bread and the juice, there's nothing, no power on their own to make you better or even feel better about yourself. But they are meant to take you to Jesus Christ. So if you identify with him, if you're a follower of his, what I would ask is, if you're a follower of his, to come to this table and remember his body and his blood. But if you're not, please, please, let's, let's have a conversation about that. Let's talk more about what it means to identify with him and his death and his resurrection. But when the tray is passed, please feel free to pass that along. One thing I'd like for us to do, and, and the deacons are getting ready and the worship team is, is getting ready, I find that I can... If I, if I don't, like, work hard in my mind, my mind can wander and I can think about a thousand things. And even as the bread and the juice are distributed, I can think about a, what the rest of my day is going to hold or what next week looks like. And, and I think, my goodness, our service isn't over yet. So let's draw our attention to this. And I, I, I'd actually like to just give you some instruction on something you could think about. My guess is that if you are in Christ, there are 500 different ways God has shown you grace. But maybe... Maybe a handful, maybe two, three, or four stand out to you. So what I'd ask you to do is the bread and juice are distributed. If John could say, we have received grace upon grace, I want you to go back and think back. Think back to the time where right there, God showed me grace. Maybe it's your conversion. Or maybe it was when you were like wandering and God brought you back. Or maybe it was the, a, a gift in your life, a, a friend or or something that you saw and you knew his grace. And let's meditate on that. Let's reflect on that. And let's thank him in our hearts for that as we receive the bread and the juice. In just a moment, I'll lead us in a time where we'll take that together.